to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters. We've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. Well, the dawn was coming. Heard him ringing on my bell. He said, my name's the teacher. Oh, that's what I call myself. First time on 3WD, dude, Jethro Tull. That was, I wanted, I'm going to hand you out a future inspiration for bringing some Jethro Tull into <laughs> that's it. Awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that song is great. So, yeah, so first time on 3WD, Jethro Tull. But, teacher, and why... Well, first a word from our spot. No, I'm kidding, guys. Uh, but if you guys have actually seen um, 3WD, it's really exciting. We've decided to finally become an affiliate with somebody. Uh, it's Fan Roll Dice. Uh, you guys have probably seen the the email we sent out and our and our Facebook posts and all our socials. But super simple. They make great dice. You can go see some of the pictures we got from our actual Dragonlance game that we did recently, where we were testing them out. Uh, you can go to their site. They have much better pictures uh, where, you, you know, we're not photographers, but real easy. You want dice, you want accessories, check them out. Go to fanrolldice.com slash R-E-F slash 2871. If you go there, you'll get 10% off from, from us for everything. No strings attached. So pretty easy. So cool. there you go. There's our little, uh, I don't know, paying the bills section. So. On to the episode, though, we were talking, and the teacher makes kind of some sense. I don't know, maybe I'm shoehorning that in, but we've been talking and we've been playing within our campaigns as well. How do you make the, especially in a leveling system, like 5e, and there's a lot of other systems out there that do a leveling progression where you gain abilities from leveling. How do you make those character choices, those mechanical choices, matter more for your story or the world, how does it make sense as opposed to, well, you wake up and now you have the oath of vengeance, right? So uh, that's kind of what we're delving into. What do you guys think? Well, the low hanging fruit on this is if you were fortunate enough to kind of have an idea about this uh, in your character's conception, you could work it in, in your backstory. You can move your way up. For example, if I was a warrior who was interested in certain swords and certain styles of uh, sword play, then maybe I could transition into being a samurai versus I roll out of bed at the campsite. And I'm like, I know Ikaijatsu this morning. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's a good balance between what the character develops in their own interpretation of their achievements and their increasing abilities and then working with the dm and trying to create a believable progression where you're not just waking up in a cave with new powers but there's a reason why experientially there's a dream there's something that's happening there that kind of makes it a little bit more focused towards the story so there's something to leveling besides just you know adding up some more numbers and getting some additional features there it kind of dovetails into your story yeah i uh and and the reason i i kind of wanted to come at it this way was this is something I actually finally started. To, I wanted to, and I started to play around with it in some other games. But I really, with the with the newest Dragonlance game we've been running, I really wanted to lean super heavy into it because why these these massive things are happening? People are taking oaths in Dragonlance. People are becoming knights, right? 
Like you're gaining these abilities beyond like rogue abilities, like cunning action. Okay, well, you're just getting better at being a rogue. I get that. But like I'm taking an oath. I'm taking a patron. I'm whatever it might be. Like you shouldn't just wake up and do that. I mean, you can, and we all play that. But I really have been leaning heavily into it. Uh, and I like it because I feel like it builds more into the character. And now you have some more purpose, right? I've been doing it with you guys on that, some of that narrative side quest stuff that that we, we've talked about before. You know, I think there's defining achievements, right, that you're kind of talking about is that mm-hmm. there's some levels like a, I do this a action surge. I'm just a little bit better at it. But there's yeah. certain features that have a flavor that crystallizes your character a little bit more, you know, the player character a little bit. It's safe for the key moments. Like, I can't imagine. Like, that's something that's 5e is a little soft on, where I could roll out of bed and, like, in my Ragnarok campaign, Dave's character's a wizard. And I'm like, well, do I have a 13 intelligence? Well, I just leveled. I, I'm a wizard now. Like, you know, and your character's like, like, what the hell? I spent years. I was mentored. <laughs> I went These to wizard family, school. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, grueling training. I'm like, nope. I just took my level in wizard. Here it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I've tried to do that. I mean, I've tried to do that as a player. I'm always attempting to at least explain to myself. I might not like tell the story to the party or whatever, but I'm at least like consistent with it. I have verisimilitude within my own character as to why do I do these, even to the point of like Tony and Ragnarok. We were just talking about this yesterday. My wizard who I play a little more because of the school he's in, which is very uh, specific to that world, that campaign setting. Uh, He plays more like a bard, really, than a wizard. But I like the wizard mechanic. Uh, I haven't really been able to play it out in 5e, so I'm playing it out. But, like, my two second-level spells that I decided to learn when we just leveled, I took Detect Thoughts and Suggestion. I was not taking super offensive spells. I could have. I could have taken all kinds of spells that are like, ooh, that's a cool spell. But what makes sense for Gwaden? What makes sense for this wizard, how he's comporting himself? So I've always been playing that on a, on a player side, and I've just been trying now to really lean into it on the DM side to try to see if players want to come along on that journey in a way. I think that's a good point, too, is that it's about what the player – you have to kind of feel what the player wants from their progression for, for you, for guys like you or me or something, we're writing a backstory. We want things to happen and we kind of help to try to describe some of the things that are happening. Other people, you might need to bring them along or they don't need that. They enjoy the game for what it is and everything like, so you find you have to find the right level of believable progression in there. Yeah. I think that's well said. Something Dave did, uh, or at least introduced uh, when we're doing a Ravenloft, when we took feats if there was something really kind of outside of our class scope, we had stories surrounding them. So when Hulk got an intelligence proficiency with resilience, you know, it wasn't like he just rolled out of bed and like, I, hey, brother, I've got an iron mind now. Like, that did not happen. He did not just roll out of bed and there he had that ability. But that kind of creates a dynamic where you've got your player's concept, how they conceptualize this story versus now the party and how they have expectations of how they're going to be. And then the DM's kind of in the middle going, well, this is actually how the world is. Break break that out a little more too. And what do you like? Give an example so we can kind of see. Sure. So for example, I have a character and I am making, let's take wait. You're making some unconventional choices because you're leaning more into how you've conceptualized this wizard. Who's very bard like, yeah. well, 
let's just say I'm in the party and you hit a point where you would have fireball and maybe you don't have it. And that's a, <laughs> a game-changing ability. And I'm like, quit, Quentin, throw your fireball at those incoming trolls. And you're like, no, I cannot. Like, I, I could speak with that leaf, though, if you would like. With a passion like fire. Yeah. And next thing, this is biting me on the face. And then meanwhile, as a DM, I'm like, yeah, here comes a lot of monsters. You know, so it really, there is a balance between all three of those things. Which your party's going to expect what you're trying to do and all the crap the DM's going to throw at you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, character and party balance there. I think as you play, you start to get a feel for the different players' uh, styles there. Mm. Or do you, I mean, you're much more of an interactive, talkative kind of like you're much more of a face character when you're in a party, like you're able to interact much more versus other people that don't have the same level of interaction there. So, I, th- I mean, but I mean, it's sometimes wizards don't have fireball. Like, I think that in, in a way, too, can be part of what makes it a little bit like the world. There, there is some level of it. I mean, you're a fighter. You probably have a sword or some kind of weapon or something like that. But there are. There's something to be said for slightly unconventional things, but to Tony's point, it can be somewhat difficult, right? When you have classic archetypes that you're expecting when you're in a, you know, a traditional party, so to speak. It is. With that too, I I always lean more towards what the player, the way they conceptualize their character is. That's the way it is. That's the way that character is. Now I am I as a DM like when I'm running, I can then push into that with their patron, with their god, with visions, with the way in which they interact with the world, and then people speak back to them. But that's that's if someone decides to play a cleric that takes no no healing spells and doesn't really do it, that's who that's the character they're playing, and you know you you have to I. For me, at my table, I have to respect that. Yeah, back in, in my 2A, 2E days where I hung my hat, uh, if you were playing a classic of Paladin, for example, everybody was super critical of your performance. It was like you're trying to be the next Batman. They're like, no, no, this isn't how Paladins are run. Like, unless I am being the most obnoxiously lawful good person, <laughs> jumping in front of arrows and staying up all night feeding the poor, I just wasn't holy enough for the rest of the party who just had these ideas. And I'm like, it's not your character. Shut the hell up. And so I appreciate that. I really do. But that also brings you another funny story where we were in a situation and there was a dex-based character who were like, hey, go this dex-based character is a super good friend of mine. I'm not throwing anybody to the bus, but I'm like, hey, go sneak into a, that camp. And this character's like, no, nah, I can't. I, I'm not good at sneaking. And I'm like, ah. Yeah, absolutely, Tone. Like, especially, and Paladin is a great example. I think Paladin is one of the, you know, Paladin and Warlock and Cleric, I'm going to say, right off the top of my head, I'm sure there's there's some I'm missing. But those are the ones where, like, some of those mechanical things, they're like world-shaking events, right? A paladin is taking an oath to a god to then be able to affect the world. And in something like the world of Kryn, for instance, with Dragonlands, like, that matters because, obviously, spoilers, the gods had left after the Cataclysm, and they are now returning, uh, which is kind of the, the basis of the War of the Lands, as it were, right, for anyone not familiar with Dragonlands. So... Like that needs to matter. That like gods are now speaking and acting for people. So like that's one of the things I did to lean heavy into 
creating this this type of dynamic where those things matter, where you have to make your oath, those types of things. And a lot of that, like I said, is outside of game, but it's still happening. But that's one thing I love about the Oath of Vengeance is uh, besides when they took the lawful good sort of requirement off of Paladin is that it really makes you into a holy warrior. Like it's you're a knight, but you don't have to be a knight. And I think that's kind of the nuance where you're talking about is that, you know, you see the picture that they have in the player's guide for that particular thing. But you're something like that, like you have those abilities and stuff like that. And same with the warlock. A lot of times I struggle with warlocks because you kind of have to end up being an evil character, right? A lot of the patrons, or you're like Johnny, right, you know, yeah. you're like Ghost Rider or something, right? And I, I can't do an evil character. I don't know what it is. Like I, I like to play like heroic characters, but I love some of the warlock stuff. So I just sort of, sometimes I'm doing a solo game and I just ignore the fact that he's kind of dealing with an evil person because I enjoy the class so much. But there is that sort of alignment-based ones, cleric, paladin warlock where there's a belief system besides a fighter or a thief where you can kind of go any other way those ones seem to be much more locked into you're allowed to do these things you know yeah well that's easy to sum up because if you look at warlock you could be a wizard for example get all these neat powers or you could be a warlock and sell your soul for a bunch of neat powers (laughs) yes so it's like i think i want to go to college and Chris, you're right. Like it's always with the warlock, and it kind of goes because of the nature of warlock, right? Like, I mean, it's called a warlock. <laughs> you're making a pact with some sort of otherworldly entity or other planar entity that and to gain power, and that's so Lovecraftian, right? So obviously, great old one stuff. And the closest thing they have to not just fucking Asmodeus, the devil himself, or like Cthulhu, is Archfey. And then like, okay, so, but these things are tricksy. They are unknowable to, they are alien to, to mortal minds, right? Uh, and they didn't really create, at least I know there's been talk of it, but, you know, celestial patrons, things of that nature. But then at that point, somebody might be like, well, isn't that just a cleric? But I would say like, there's differences though. And like, you can play that difference out in role play, but those choices still matter. Like your patron... Tony, Thor, and I, the three of us would talk about this all the time about patrons and like people didn't want to have to deal with like you just sold your soul to the devil. Like I I know you now have Eldritch Blast, but like that should matter, right? Like that should matter. So I really think patrons and stuff should play into the character and lean into that a little bit. Make those story hooks, make that the the patron starts to ask for things and maybe you don't know what it's asking for right now but are you going to do it because i like this power right well yeah see something we did back in the day in 4e actually thorn had used was one of my characters was a follower of vecna and it's very similar <laughs> to the piety i know it's unbelievable right i yeah, sold my soul again can you believe this yeah. so there was a basically before piety existed from Pharaohs, it was a system very similar to this where I would do things that he specifically wanted. Like I would sacrifice objects of knowledge to him. And therefore, because I was doing this extra BS, I was getting awesome powers. So I made a sacrifice and I got more power than other players had access to. That's why that works. If you're giving a player just like with a warlock, you want to kind of play it softer. Because you're getting very balanced powers. I don't want to sell my soul for balanced powers. That's not enticing to me. Yeah, for like, oh, cool, I sold my soul, so now I have 1d10 plus my charisma. Like, it's cool, and I get it mechanically. 
I get it mechanically, but there's so much there that you could play into with the character and do things like I'm playing with that in, in the current campaign as well, where I am, people are starting to gain access to things that you wouldn't normally get out of the PHB as their character starts to unfold. And as like their place in the world starts to unfold and maybe deities or, or something that they're following or whatever it might be. And I'm kind of seeing where it goes. I don't fully know yet, but I'm just seeing where it goes, but it definitely, I think, creates these much deeper characters that now are in the world and they matter for the world, too. And I, I just feel like that pushes more for the role play during the game, too. I don't know if you guys would, if you guys are experiencing it. What are your thoughts in that way? I mean, I think that there's something to it. I think especially when you tie it in with the backstory and you're able to find some additional nugget of information in this session or something, and it ties into that. And very often you can, the D, as a DM, you can use that to dovetail that into stuff like uh, character progressions. Like all of a sudden you meet this guy or you have this dream at this certain point yes. and all of a sudden your destiny is starting to be revealed to you. Like it gives you good hooks to be able to introduce stuff like that to make it a lot more believable and fun and you know immersive as a player on the outside though and i see players getting powers they normally wouldn't have access to there, there's kind of also a trusting the dm moment where you see like a one player especially they get a bunch of stuff if that were to happen and you're like ha wow like that's pretty that's baller like, like, how, how did that happen? Like, how many babies did you have to sacrifice for that? So, you know, uh, and that does play into the story, but there's also the mechanics versus the story there with the other players and the endless balance. I mean, I think there's definitely something that you can, especially with that, like character arcs or stuff like this, where you're achieving new abilities and everything like that. You have to make sure that everyone is getting what they would want out of it. Some people want a much more immersive uh, thing and it's much more tied to my backstory. Some people want a much more lighter experience where it doesn't have to tie in so deeply. So I think it's it's kind of based on the player themselves, how deeply you want to dive into that. Yeah, you, you can, like I say, the backstory is such a perfect element for it because it tells you kind of where they started and how the progression that they're on there. So you can always use that to kind of pull things from. Yeah, and every player is going to interact with that differently, where some players, like a lot of us, will come to our DM and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to be taking this because X, Y, Z. Like, uh, Tony, with Hawk, I think, so you wanted the intelligence resilience, so you took resilient feet at, at whatever level that 16th. was. 16th. Mm -hmm. Because you knew that you were going up against something that had psychic damage to it so as a my only weakness brother yeah as a player you're saying okay i don't want to just be dropped i want to have like some level of of defense here because i'm a fucking stupid barbarian right <laughs> and but what you did i think that was was that when we did the little side quest when you went to yester hill and you spoke with the green mother and such so that was after the fact we went kind of back and forth so after uh we won in the fake court mm -hmm. and uh, the whole succession was over and decided, and there was an after party, and we were preparing for the air quotes last battle. That's where Hawk went into meditations, and like he sat down and like, didn't move That's right. for like twelve hours. That's right. That's right. And you you emailed me that you said, okay, so while this is happening, and this was out of game, while this is happening, I'm doing Hawk is doing X Y Z. 
to gain this ability. But I said, absolutely, because I don't mind if you're trying to defend yourself against, you know, the, the enemy that's coming. But show me why. Right. Give me a reason why you have that, because that's interesting to me. That's where the story really happens. Uh, it's very similar to, I mean, like I said, with with the Dragonlance one, but with Bonnie's character, uh, the Kender Rogue. Right. And um, that's gently. Yeah, she is. I mean, and she's playing a Kender exactly the way that Kenders are. You know, if you read about Tasselhoff Burfoot, that that's how they react. But I knew that she wanted to go Arcane Trickster route for the Rogue. Because she likes spell casting, it gives her more things to play with. Uh, that's awesome. For me, I then went, okay, what are some of the ways in which this Kender, who in the world of Grin don't really have magic, right? Rogue, how are they starting to learn magic? And that made me start to my wheels turning, which then actually added to the rest of the story. And I said, okay, this is what, how your magic is coming to you. Right. But it, it made sense for not just the character and let them play the character they want to play, but also made the world that much richer and also more fodder for as the campaign moves forward, things that might be affected. And that's very good. I mean, when we were in Tony's Ragnarok game, uh, my character school, well, like we were a week, uh, yeah. like I, I multi-classed into Druid and, you know, oh, I probably stepped okay. on Tony's toes a little bit, but there was a point where I wanted to kind of explain, like he said, you're, you, you know, in between you have, you have a week here at the last refuge and what you were doing. And I'm like, oh, this is when he finds it. And so he goes out into the forest and finds a tree and breaks a branch off. Right. And all this other stuff. But then I sort of, you know, I started text, texting with Tony back and forth and we kind of worked a little bit with it and tweaked some things. And I think it's, to that, it's like there's a good give and take. Sometimes it's a little bit more DM to player. Sometimes it's a little bit more player to DM where you're reaching out and saying, this is something that I want to do or this is how I want to kind of visualize how my progression works. So it's a good kind of balance where you have to kind of – I guess I keep restating it, but that it's like a conversation with each player, how deeply they want to believe what their character is, how deep you want to be rooted in the world, that this all these decisions have to make sense. You know, Let's make the ones make sense that are important to you. I'm very big on continuity, and if we don't have that, like, yes, I'm in a world with elves and magic and dragons, but there's got to be some rules that hold it together, or what the hell are we doing? Yeah. 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 Like, low magic. Like, I think the only way it's... If you enter into a true low magic world, you can really lean into that. A lot of the other stuff with... If you're running a full-on campaign, like, it's pretty darn magical, though. So, I mean, there... You, obviously, it's good for character enrichment that you're explaining it, but it's a super magical world. But something like uh, Middle Earth or even Dragonlands as it starts, like these things are just crazy things. Like you're just there's a bunch of regular humans and people walking around. So that mystical element and the character progressions and having to introduce gods and deities is much deeper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Chris, I would say because that was a, a great way in which you as the player initiated because you said because tony had in the journey to ragnarok campaign tony's made some adjustments i know crazy who would have thought <laughs> unbelievable yeah. he made some adjustments and what he did was he he created this idea of runic levels so uh tony just kind of quickly explain like your concept of the runic levels and then i'll get to my, my point that i'm making here so my incredibly short version of this is that while they're in the beginning part of the game, they're capped to level seven. However, with runic levels, they can take on an entirely separate class. 
And I've got a chart on how hit points work with that. So if you take a level in, say, your core class and a level in your runic class, you are going to advance in that. But you're not going to get more than seven levels worth of stuff in that respect. So that gives us an opportunity to really explore that super deep environment while still feeling like there's some character progression going on. Yeah, exactly. So he, you, you put this forward to us, I want to say, at second level or yeah. at first level, one of the two. But it was very early. You it said really you have the ability to, in essence, multi-class. But it is a, it's a, a little bit more of a homebrewed multi-class option. So you don't get everything from it. But it's it like my you, fifth attempt at this. Yeah, it lets you build your character out. And I was like, that's really cool. And I said, I'm going to stick with Wizard right now. But I, right off the bat, I had said, but I'm thinking I might down the road begin to work on Bard. That's at the same point, because that's kind of where Gwaden seems to be heading, like I was saying earlier. But I gave Tony that heads up levels before I ever made that choice for multiclassing. So there's an easy way to start to explain that, because now Gwaden has begun just over time developing some of these new abilities that he finally can showcase, you know, but it doesn't have to be something massive. Like sometimes I'll send out a huge page long uh, scene to you guys about what's happening to your character and how, how Matt's monk, uh, Adrian is becoming the, he, he took way of the ascendant dragon from Tasha's, uh, no, uh, from Fizban, sorry. Which obviously fits super into the Dragonland set. That's an easy way to start to build out. Like it's already there, but here let's explain this more so it puts it in the world, so it makes some sense, you know. But with like a multi-class thing, at least I have that ability, to, so it's not going to just spring on Tony. So hey, while we were gone, I just decided I'm a bard now. You know, now I have inspiration. <laughs> I was practicing my guitar last night. Yeah, I, it, it's, I get it, and you can do it in a quick game. You just level and it's fun and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there are times where you say, well, I would really love to know, like, how did, you know, how did Sir Scar, you know, there was so much character development with Sir Scar that added to the how important it was as all of these things happened in the rest of the campaign, all the adventures, all the battles, the encounters, all the other stuff that we love to play with. It made him matter more. It put him in the world. It. Uh, it just informed it so much more. and made it a much more pleasant story, I thought. Uh, I think it's kind of like a spice, like believable progression. Like to your point, playing D&D is fun and leveling is fun. Like I'd level every five minutes if I could, right? Like not all the time, right. like I, yeah. you know, but it's, it's one of the biggest endorphin rushes you get. But I think the believable progression stuff is a spice that you add. And some people like a really spicy food, right? And so you give them a lot of that. Some people like it a little bit more bland. So you have the meat of the adventure, but you can spice it up with just a little bit of extra story around Oh, why you're suddenly an Oath of Vengeance paladin or why now you, you know, you've chosen this patron and now he's kind of calling on you for something or something like that. Like it's just little tiny bits of spice on top of what's already there. Don't always need to add it. I think it really adds something to your point with Dragonlance and all the stuff that we do Ragnarok. So. And, and back in the in the Strat campaign, too, like I will go to Phineas Thorin's character, the warlock. He had taken the Archfey patron. Uh, and he had this whole idea of the gentleman, the man with the thistle down hair from Glenn Boggle. And I was like, oh, this is a really cool thing. 
And we started to play with that idea as it went forward. And that led all the way up to the whole court of stars thing and the, you know, uh, the, the fake courts and all of that, that I don't know if we, if that would have been the same thing, if you didn't have a warlock that was, the patron was Arch Bay and they wanted to have that communication with them. You know, I, you don't have that level of that story or even that adventure at all without it. That's absolutely right. Like that was a deeply planted hook. He had been working with him since the get go. And then there was a real character investment in there. And if there's not some type of collective or at least individual character uh, investment, then it doesn't it doesn't hold. I mean, I could like throw out a compelling story about two characters within the game. Things happening to them. But if you're not investing them looking from the outside in, you're like, I, that's a very interesting story about them. But when it's like in-house, that's different. Actually, you know, we're like actually involved in the succession of who's going to take over the Feywild. It made sense. That's just like, heroes, I need you to help us solve a problem. Like, no, and I think it's kind of cool is that in many ways, it's like the characters themselves, the players can tell you uh, where you need to go, right? Where you go after this adventure. It's funny, I was actually texting with DM Lenny earlier, and he's talking about open-ended games, and it's a little bit stressful. And I kind of said, like, after the main adventure, you know the people there. You kind of talk with them. You get an idea. They're telling you what it is that they want to do. They're telling you how they want to encounter these powers and do these different things, and you can kind of pick those out and start to develop them into larger storylines rather than having to constantly try to think of it yourself. Very often they're telling you a little bit of where it is that they kind of see the story going and you kind of take that to you know, the patron idea and flesh that out into a whole thing to where it's like, I mean, we didn't, we finally got to the Feywild. I mean, we didn't encounter it. It was like 16th, 17th level, right? So that's a long, that's a long burn there, but it was freaking awesome. So I think that was cool because it kind of was like, Thorin gave you the seed to plant there, and then you were able to develop it and kind of massage it into something that really brought everybody together as a larger quest. I mean, there's so many things that led to each part of those adventures after Strahd was defeated, but like so many of those things, you can then reach back because you built this story, right? You you built this thing that's there, you know? And also, Chris, you just mentioned Lenny. Uh, I don't think we told the listeners, though, but if you guys go back to that, the Just Do It episode uh, where we had Lenny on talking about starting, uh, he has started running Lost Minds of Bandelver for, yes, uh, for the three of us plus Matt. Uh, the, the, if you will know Matt, that's the monster wrangler from the Back in Black episode. But, uh, yeah, so I just said, hey, when are you going to run it for us? And then he, it's happening. So, yeah, we are we are currently uh, we've we've uh, washed out Cragmall um the Cragmall the Caves, yep, yep. and now we're uh, we're heading to Fandolin. So, and it's been a it's been a baller uh, game so far. So it's a good so party. Little, yeah. little, side, little side piece there for you guys. Yeah, very good party. So DM obviously creates the vast majority, if not all, not nearly all the story. But when the players give you a gold nugget, like you, you, you got to utilize that. Like I was talking uh, the other day about uh, Roderick, and he pitches his character idea. And I'm like, so you want a guy who's not ultra powerful. He's actually sickly. He's like, yes. Why? You don't know. Ha. It's worse than that. You're dying. Okay. So you're dying and you don't know why. All right. You're taking a character handicap because of this. Okay. And like, 
He's like, this hook is hooked into my belt. You feel free to pull on this. Yeah. So, yeah. like, why are we doing this? Why are we following this plot line for Roderick? Well, he's dying. Do you care about the guy in your party? It was a really unique opportunity as a DM because I wouldn't, like, just throw that. Like, hey, Chris, by the way, do you mind? Your character's dying at level one. <laughs> you know? It would like, be difficult, but it adds – it definitely adds something to it, right? Like, it's uh, – you don't necessarily have to handicap yourself, but the idea that you provide that super little hook there that the DM can work with – to your point, that's a, a wonderful nugget that you're getting there. You're like, I could do all kinds of stuff with this. This can go in many different directions, and it's a good seed that can kind of get it going there. So, I mean, yeah, it's. I, uh, I mean, I totally had lifted. Uh, I mean, I'm going to give credit to Chris, partly, uh, partly for the name Roderick, uh, Roderick Droggle, uh, because that was an entire thing that we were playing with back in Pathfinder days. Uh, with a great idea, and then it's all—it's all the fall of the House of Usher and Roderick Usher, and I don't know how you write that story that Poe wrote without him being cursed. Without like, if if it's not cursed, there's no story. I don't know how you make any great story that you watched in a movie, on television, read in a book, whatever, where that character is not flawed in some fashion. You don't have a good story, you know? And so I just leaned heavily into that. And now, like we've talked about many times, Tony massaged that a little bit, right? I wasn't quite as sickly. I understood that. But I think it worked because, Tony, you had a lot of experienced players at the table for the Storm Kings game. And everyone very quickly, uh, once I dropped the, I'm talking blood into my handkerchief, blah, 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 they they were on board. They said, Roderick is dying. Like, we need to figure this out. Like, what's happening here, you know? So they bought in as well, which gave you fodder for continuing adventures. And you were able to extend your life with your condition. Like, I'm like, all right, so you found something as a reward. It's not going to cure you, but I've added time on the clock. And that was a really kind of unique thing. So, like, I'm allowing you to really explore the story, and now I'm not cheating you out of the full experience. But, you know... Here's different levels of rewards that I now have the opportunity to throw out. And through 18 levels now, because Roderick has come back for some one shots here and there and had to level appropriate to the party he's in, blah, blah, blah. He still has not fully uh, broken his curse at all. He's just still uh, the ring of winter is still just continuing to keep him going until he can figure it out while slowly tempting him and damning his soul, right? Like, it's, there's a, it's oh, continuing evolution. Wait for the summer bonanza. All right, well, uh, I think it's about that time, guys, for final thoughts. It's also time to remind you guys, if you go to fanrolldice.com slash REF slash 2871, uh, that's 10% off all your dice and accessories. Yeah, we're going to keep telling you about it because they're pretty sweet dice, so... Uh, that's from us to you. But here, let's, let's go through final thoughts here. So character, mechanical options, class features, patrons, all of this, how do we help make it more story-based? And with that, what has been your favorite, because we haven't played them all yet, what's been your favorite subclass to play and why? How about that? There we go. Well, there's a lot there. Uh, favorite subclass has got to be the Earth of Vengeance Paladin. I mean, if we're really going to put it out there, that is like, you go from being a knight to like the dark knight. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, you're just kicking ass. Uh, 
nonstop at this point. Although, the, a very honorable mention for the bear totem, if we're going to get down to the brass tacks. Uh, I feel like it should matter. You should reach into this as much as the player wants to interact for it. So, if you're like, hey, I leveled up, we talked about it, it's great, that's cool. If they want to really, they want to go deeper, you should certainly encourage that. And if they give you something to really work with, those hooks, that is, that's free money and for the DM. And just embrace it, roll with it, and put it in the story, make it part of the DNA. You know, as the, as Thorne used to say, the uh, the world is yours, but the character belongs to, obviously, the player. So if they have ideas and concepts, then, you know, you should try to make, the, make that work for them. You know, play, other players will have their own expectations about things, but you know what? It's their character at the end of the day. You took that with Vengeance Paladin. I was going to say that that, that, one, that one is a classic. Um, Chris, it's Master's like, awesome. That's almost like, Tony, you said it's like you're a knight to the dark knight. It's like you get to be Batman, but with, like, the powers of Superman. Like, I don't know who's not going to take that, right? It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the most OP and satisfying subclasses ever. But, I mean, I would say that the College Eloquence Bard that I'm doing with Rasquedo now, it's awesome. very bardy. I like a lot of the newer subclasses they did. Same, uh, I did a Hexblade Warlock in my solo game, so I like that class a lot. You have to deal with the facts, so I kind of do it like a Ghost Rider kind of vibe in there that he's sort of running from his evil past there, but that is a really fun class. And I think, like you guys say, like, it's story. The story is, it's a collaborative story, right? Like, how do I serve the story? Very often, the players are going to tell you where they want to go, what they want to do. So the believable progression is just stuff that, as you see what different players like from it, what they give you through the backstory, and how they interact with you at the table, what they text you after the game. You can use that to not only help their experience, but then help to build out your own, you know, with the Feywild in uh, Strahd or something like that. You can use what they say, the back and forth, to really create something. Because in the end, right, it's like, even the DM, you're telling the story, right? But the story is kind of out there in between you and the players. So it's like you're just... I think when everyone is getting their hands in it, it only makes the overall experience better. Wonderfully said. Solid. I would say, you know, I was going to reach for the College of Lore uh, bard because that's what Roderick had been. Uh, and he was so bardy, uh, like so incredibly bardy. Right? <laughs> Trademark term. <laughs> yeah, like he's just like, oh, so bard. Uh, I also like that one, too, because I was trying to play the bard. It, it, people talk about it all the time. Uh, you know, bards don't have to sing. You know, they don't have to be musicians. I was like more trying to play like the uh, a, a bard of prose, you know, things like that. Anyway, um, I love that. I will say, though, because it kind of is playing like I was just talking about Gwaden, uh The school of the wanderer in the Ragnarok campaign setting is fun because it starts you out right off the bat with real bardy things. Like the the concept of the character is very bardy and the way I envisioned his backstory as uh the the teller in essence like he's he's a one that goes about the world telling the story of Midgard because that's how Midgard continues almost like that's kind of the idea behind him, you know. So he's just a storyteller. So, like, I kind of like that because I'm getting to play a wizard, but he's still real bardy. So, uh, but that's super early on. Uh, so, obviously, bard stuff. That's what I'm into, I guess. Do what you want. Do what you're comfortable with. So, for me, you know, I love to do a lot of these things. But, you know, if you're a player, 
approach your DM, talk to them, look at your class guide, your character guide in your player's handbook. What are you seeing when the paladin takes an oath, when the warlock, what's happening with the patron? When those things are happening, approach your DM and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is where I see my character heading. Uh, for DMs, the same thing. You can do what I do, which is create a whole Google Doc for every player out there, but you don't have to do that. What you can do, same thing. Look at the character guide. When there's a couple of those big things happening, why? Just think of the why. And then talk to your player. Maybe you just send them a text and just say, hey, this is happening, or how do you see this happening? Uh, do what you like. Do what you're comfortable with. And that's pretty much it for me. Uh, so, again, thanks, guys, for coming this week. And as we do each week, we're going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. Everyone at home, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Three Wise DMs. This was our own. This was this was our own passion topic, or my own passion topic, depending on how you look at it. But a lot of our topics come from readers like you. So if you have something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send it into Three Wise DMs at gmail.com. Go to our website, threewisedms.com, and enter it in the What's Your Problem field, or talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're very active on all those sites, and we'll get your message and see if we can get it on the air. Also, if you're listening to this on your podcast platform, please give us five stars if you like what you're hearing. It really helps us increase our reach. Review it if you can. You know, Tell folks you like it. We've been growing by leaps and bounds. That's all because of you. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Free Wise DMs. Thank you.